Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. All right. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today? Great. How are you, Randy? Doing awesome. Uh, you know, there's one question that I feel remiss that I didn't ask you about a podcast that we did recently. And, no, you know, we were discussing the Kitchen World Freestyle Championships that uh, I participated in. And one of the questions was, what is your favorite kitchen utensil? You never answered. So what is your favorite kitchen utensil? <laughs> Uh, I would have to say it's a fork because it's just really practical, useful. I use it every single time I go to the kitchen, so I got to go with the fork. <laughs> a fork. Wow, that's very uh, basic. I thought you might, you know, like say like a whisk or a, a spatula or something, but a fork. It's just so practical. I can't, I can't pass up a fork. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of fits your persona too, you know. <laughs> I'm a fork, yeah. No, I'm a very practical guy. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. <laughs> Uh, I'm really excited about our episode today and uh, the two folks that are going to join us. So why don't you give them an introduction and and bring them in? Yeah, we are very lucky to have with us today Arthur Coddington and Dave Lewis. Uh, I would say that they were one of the most dominating teams from 1996 to 2004. They were definitely two of the the players that I tried to emulate as I was learning to be a freestyler. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Hey there, hey guys. Thanks for inviting us. It's great. It's great yeah. to be talking to you guys. It's really cool. An honor. I love, I love your show, and I've listened to most of the episodes, and uh, it's pretty inspiring. Oh, thank, well, thank you. Thank you. So why don't we just start at the beginning, and I, I want to ask you guys how Frisbee came into your life, and uh, I know you guys each have separate stories, so why don't we start with Arthur, and then we'll go to Dave. So Arthur, how did Frisbee come into your life? Um, <clears throat> when I was a teenager, actually before I was a teenager, uh, my older sister and I just used to play catch in the backyard, and she gave me Mark Dana's book for my 13th birthday, and it was just perfect timing. I needed something to latch onto as a teenager, and that became it. I wanted to learn everything in that book, so I learned how to throw distance and curve shots and all the different releases and started to learn tricks and figured things out. And from there, um, my parents agreed to take me to a couple of tournaments the next year. Uh, and I happened to win the New York State Junior Championships uh, that first year and got second on the East Coast. And uh, and we just went from there. My, my dad and I would go uh, to like three tournaments on the East Coast every summer. And uh, that's the beginning. It's, so it all started with Mark Dana's book. That, that was the book that came in the, the disc, right? Yeah, I still have the book. So when was this, Arthur? You were 13. 1979. 1979, okay. But 1979 was the first time I competed. Quite a long time. So Dave Lewis, will you tell us how Frisbee came into your life? Okay, so when I was 14, that was the first year of high school, at lunch, on the grass, I saw a bunch of players. Well, I didn't know when they were players. I mean, they were doing freestyle. They were doing basically chucking at long distance and then doing a tip couple tips and a catch and I you know I was blown away by that but there was this one guy who could do spin it on his finger and he was do like the psycho bash and he would get it on one finger and then 
chop it again and lift it up and chop it. And I was just like, what the heck is this? So I learned how to, um, well, actually I approached the guy and he showed me how to delay. And I spent the next two weeks learning how to delay, every, doing it every single day until I, I could do it. So wait a second, who was that guy? Do you remember his name? Mark Millard. He was this tall, lanky guy um, with frizzy blonde hair. Um, he never competed. I, I don't understand why. So a friend of mine, Chris Shark, we would throw it back and forth, delay the disc for as long as we could, and then drop it into a catch. We were separate from those guys. We didn't feel like we were good enough to play with them. So we did this and eventually got good enough where I could do some tricks. So I would practice basically every single day after school. And there was a whole bunch of players like Gary Nelson and some others. In fact, everybody, I had a crew of friends and all of us could do the delay. And that was almost like it was a group. In order to be part of the group, you had to be able to do a delay, it almost seemed like. And this one friend, Brian Welsh, he could delay it on his thumb, which I thought was kind of funny. So anyway, at one year, we all took a road trip up to Sonoma. And there was, it was the Indian Summer Tournament, which was this, this huge tournament in Sonoma County um, in Kentucky, where all these great players were. John Kirkland, Larry Imperiali, you know, Skippy Jammer, they were all there. And um, one year, Donnie Rhodes was there, actually. So I w- I w- it was like magic. I mean, it was, it was just the most amazing thing, as, as we all know. You know, it just caught my imagination. I would take notes and then go back home and practice and then come back the next year. One year, John Kirkland approached me, where, and I couldn't believe it because this is John Kirkland. You know what I mean? He's the guy that was on the 165 world-class disc. I couldn't, I couldn't believe I was actually talking to him. Anyway, he took me aside and said, you want to be good, kid? Hey, this is what you got to do. You see that guy over there? You want to be like him? You got to practice every day. And that guy was Donnie Rhodes. He was just, you know, on the sidelines, spinning, doing amazing things. I, I, I couldn't believe it. That's basically how I got introduced to the sport. You know, what's funny is that we've talked to a lot of folks, and you wouldn't believe how many times the phrase has come up. Hey, kid, you want to get good? It's funny. I have a similar story with Kirkland, actually, at Indian Summer, my first Indian Summer, jamming on the sidelines. And he comes up to me and basically says the same thing. Hey, kid. You and you and Dave Lewis have a common thread. Who would have known? A lot of the players would approach me and, you know, they wanted to help me. And one of the players was Jeff Soto. And um, he actually took me down to Santa Barbara one time, played the Santa Barbara Open, and he competed with me, which was quite amazing. But my first partner was Scott Weaver. We went up to, I think it was 1981, you know, we competed. And the team before us was Joey Hudaklin and Richie Smiths. No throw, one catch. The most amazing thing. Nobody had ever seen that before. So then we followed them, which is kind of a tough act to follow. Wait a second. You followed the one throw, no drop routine of Joey and We Richie? were the next... We were the oh next my god, that is crazy! That's, that's wow. crazy. So that what year you said that was 1981 when you played with Scott Weaver, and what year did you first start the nail delay? Um, 78. 78. Okay, so you and Arthur started about the same time. Very coincidences to our freestyle history. I played until 82. I stopped for 10 years, and then we started about the same time again. We restarted almost exactly at the same time. 
we rediscovered freestyle within a week of each other after like i was out of it for eight years pretty much no contact with the sports and then i arrived in santa monica like a week after dave lewis uh arrived having rediscovered it i have an eerie coincidence with you guys that i'm learning right now because i started in 78 79 those were my formative years when i was like 13 14 and then i checked out for like 10 years all three of us checked out and then checked back in at the same time that's (laughs) crazy wow that is crazy so arthur who were some of your first partners when you started so my my early freestyle experience was very isolated so i grew up in upstate new york and there really wasn't hardly anyone around me who played anything but ultimate so most of my practice was like in my driveway solo they brought my little um record player out to the garage and putting little 45 records on to to practice too and it was all solo i had one guy from the local college who i occasionally played with and i learned to throw z's through playing with him and i probably learned a little bit of the body spinning through those jams but almost all of it was solo and then i would show up at tournaments and hook up with someone for the tournament and we would generally do pretty well because i was pretty advanced for among freestyles we probably like in the nas tournaments to probably get to the semifinals but i didn't have any regular uh people that i played with what happened to me was i hooked up with um angus wagner who was in my high school and we sort of became partners we we decided i you know because i had this philosophy back then that if i was going to get really good and do well i needed to have one partner and stick with them but me and um angus we would drive up to sonoma county to katati um almost every weekend one summer and skippy jammer took us under his wing and he basically showed us as much as he could every every week he would show us a different move and then we'd go back and we'd practice it come back up Skippy would show us something else. And we just hung out with him basically one summer. I don't, it just seemed like quite a bit. And then we would go to some tournaments. One, one of the last tournaments I played was the beach ball. Actually, it's ironic because it was down in Santa Monica. And then back then I was living up in uh, near San Francisco. Pretty much the last tournament we played was the beach ball. And we actually came in second place. We were completely stunned by and I remember saying, oh, my God, we came in second place ahead of John Jewell, you know, one of the best players, you know, and I was we were completely blown away by that. Ironically, then I stopped playing and because um, I, I moved down to Santa Barbara, you see Santa Barbara. But that by that time, Palm Park was too far away from you uh, see Santa Barbara. So I basically stopped showing up. But I do remember Joey playing there and he and his dog named lid and he had his van and during the time every once in a while i would go down there to palm park saw the magical joey play which was obviously amazing joey's game actually influenced me quite a bit even and then we then i stopped playing for a long time hey just want to give a shout out to dan lusty lustiger for his donation to frisbee guru it's nice to know that folks value what we're doing and want to be a part of it you value what we do too feel free to go to our website and donate now back to the show you guys both kind of stopped playing and then 
miraculously, you both ended up in Santa Monica together. So how did you guys meet? How did that how did that transpire? Uh, so I moved to California in the beginning of 1991. When I was visiting my parents that Christmas, I saw some of my old discs in my bedroom closet. And I thought, oh, I'm in California now. I bet people in California play Frisbee. So I brought them back to California. And uh, these were actually golf discs. So I, the first entree back to disc sports was uh, disc golf. And uh, so I started playing at La Mirada and kind of got hooked again and would go down early in the morning on the Saturdays and through the store discovering the world, I got sort of a list of um, uh, contacts. Uh, and one of them was Peter Bowie, uh, who was on the freestyle WIFDF committee at the time. And, oh, wow, he's local. So I called him and said, hey, uh, where do people jam? And he said, Santa Monica. And if you come out, look for me. I'm happy to show you the ropes and we'd love to have you. That was Fraser Park. So that first day uh, I went out and uh, Danny Cameronese introduced himself. Peter Bowie was there. He actually immediately started sh like showing me connecting the neurons and all these technical tricks, which were was awesome to kind of catch up with what had happened between when I <clears throat> stopped and when I was rediscovering the sport. And uh, probably in another part of that field, uh, Dave was in the midst of a mob up. Yeah, I, I kind of remember that. There was a particular day, I was jamming with Z probably, Gary Pearlberg and some of the others. And I saw this guy on the other side of the field. I'm like, who's that guy? But sort of like flat top crew cut. He was doing an inverted <laughs> delay under the leg. Who the hell is that? And I thought, he's pretty good. But then I went back to the jam, and I didn't introduce myself. Uh, yeah, he's pretty good, but uh, I'm going to check into him later. <laughs> you got better things to do. <laughs> yeah, and you had no idea uh, who he was. I think it was the Beach Bowl 92 when we first um, really met. Yeah, I think that was, we probably were in some jams, but, you know, we were, like, just not really talking. Yeah, you wouldn't talk to me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so 92 Beach Bowl was the first tournament that you guys played in is that correct or just where you guys started dialoguing redondo beach tournament that we both played in but separately yeah i remember we i came in last place with my team you, i don't think you could have come in last place because i think i came in last place <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my goodness but i remember at the beach bowl though i met him and the first words he said to me was you can't do neurons and you're seated ahead of me so that was the beginning of your your amazing career together with those words. And <laughs> I, I'm just going to go on the record that I remember it a little bit differently, but I'll go, I'll I'll let that mythical story enter the history books. <laughs> it's good that you're here to clarify that. <laughs> For me, the beginning of our partnership was actually Dave. I think he called me sometime after that tournament and said, "Hey, would you be interested in in just jamming?" during the week and not just on the weekends. And that was the beginning because then we were able to actually build our games and get to know each other as people and get to know each other as players. And it really, it really started this, the fall of 2000 or fall of uh, 1992 to the spring of 1993. We both, I think, exploded as players. And so was there a discussion there where you're saying, Hey, this partnership has possibilities here. And do you want to start, focusing on FPAWs? 
did that dialogue happen between you? We were kind of practice partners. Yeah, it was, and it was, Dave was farther along with his game at that point. He, he had had that tutelage of Skippy and, and he had already, he was already setting up to play a tournament with Joey. So he was, he, his game was much set much more at a higher level. And so in some ways, kind of a mentor relationship at that point where he was kind of filling me in on um, the philosophy of freestyle that he followed and um, and almost like in a friendly way challenging me to up my game, which I was happy to do. And um, and it was really only I think at some point like we probably had it in our mind that we would we would play together. We both talked about wanting to win big tournaments, uh, but the invitation to team up wasn't there until the summer of ninety uh, three. So 93 yeah. is when that when that started taking place. Okay, because I know 96 was your first win. So three years prior to that is when you guys started connecting the dots together. Yeah. I was playing with Dave Zeff. He was sort of my partner at that point. I felt loyal to Dave because without Dave Zeff, I would not have started playing again. Because I ran into him. I was, I was um, up in Santa Barbara um, on a date. And we were about to leave. We were walking up and down State Street in Santa Barbara. Let's walk down at State Street one more time. And all of a sudden, I hear this, Dave, Dave. And it was Dave Zeff. So he invited me down to Palm Park. That's where I met Z, Ann Graves. And she was the first one. Um, she approached me, and I hadn't played in 10 years. And I'm like, I, I can't play. How can I play like these guys? You know, I've forgotten the game. So she throws me the disc. I delay it once, and I'm like, this is it. I got to do this again. And this time, I'm going to do it right. So I was sort of loyal to Dave. I was at a Redondo Beach tournament in 93, and Zeph was going to be my partner, and it was raining. And Dave was like, I don't really feel like playing. So I'm like, Arthur, let's play. So from then on, we became partners. Um, I played one more tournament without him, which was Whiff Diff 93, to play with Gina Sample and Dave Zeff. But from that point on, we were partners. And we kind of had a philosophy of playing based on the fact that I was hanging out with Joey in 92 quite a bit, and he sort of mentored me. And, um, you know, my first tournament I won was with Joey and Zeff. It was a Ventura tournament, and I can't remember uh, whether it was 92 or 93. It was 92. Because yeah. you and I played... You and I played pairs because neither of us had a team, but your focus was on co-op. I think we placed maybe second to last in pairs, but you won co-op, which was awesome to watch. Yeah, and it was um, after um, after the tournament. I was sitting next to um, Skippy Jammer at at the bar, and he said, um, "This is your first win, really." And I was because I was blown away that we actually won. And he said, "Sometimes." Because I didn't think that we really won. And he says, sometimes you think that you haven't played well and you think there's no way you're going to win and you win. And sometimes you think you've got to win. You, you've got it. You, you shredded. Everything's perfect. And you don't win. So sometimes it goes one way and sometimes it goes the other. Yeah, I think we've all experienced that. I know I have. Yeah, indeed. In fact, that's a really good lesson for all you young players out there to know that it's going to you're going to see both sides of the fork, which is Jake's favorite kitchen utensil. Both, both times, both times of the fork. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Good times and bad times. Uh, oh, yeah. so 
Uh, I've heard both of you guys mention the word philosophy a couple times. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit? What was your jam or your freestyle philosophy? Well, it evolved over the years, but the first one was consecutivity, or I call it connectivity, um, because I was hanging out with Joey and you know I idolized him. Basically, consecutivity was was the idea, and so we kind of followed that to a T. Can you expand um, on what that means? Well, that means basically every reception would be restricted. You know what I mean by reception? Yeah, so every time you time take you, the disc in, right? Yeah, you take the disc in. Let's say you're doing a co-op. Every time you take the disc in, it's it would be um, a restricted pull or restricted take within the co-op. And then when you're doing it in an individual combo, would let's say set the disc in a restricted way. And then you would take the, receive the disc in a restricted way. Like you would go, let's say, do a great five set or figure four set into the air, and then you might pull it under your leg. So that would be consecutive. So it's consecutive restricted. That was our, our mantra that we tried to do. Um, that, was, that was super important for me because it was, I think I had seen the word consecutivity before, but I hadn't really been... Uh, versed in it or had the expectation of someone around me that I go for consecutivity. Uh, so that first year of jamming, I would say the two things were going on. One was uh, learning to jam with other people, having only played on my own pretty much for my entire life, and learning to jam in beautiful, perfect Santa Monica winds. Uh, so anyone who's not ever played at Fraser Park, please put that on your destination list, because in my opinion, it's the best wind in the world. But it takes kind of practice to learn what you can do in the wind and, and how to adjust your game. And it also takes an adjustment period to go from doing a move and then another move and then another move to going move, move, move. It's a completely different mindset, and it, it's a leap of faith. That winter that Dave and I played together during the week where we would go out after work to this lit softball field in 35-degree weather, practice consecutivity, jamming, seeing where we could take our game. Like we had this exercise of do a combo, do a consecutive combo, and, and if you catch it, the next one has to still be consecutive, but it has to be harder. And see how many times you can catch in a row and make it get harder every time. So we would kind of push our abilities for consecutivity, but also push our abilities to step up under pressure. Dave was like mind blowing at that. He had like he did one that was like twenty or twenty five combos in a row, where he wasn't missing and he was doing different things and making it more difficult every time. I think I might have gotten to ten. Wow! So you guys kind of had a dueling banjos kind of strategy with each other. You'd do a move and the other person would have to one up you yeah. and you guys would just keep going up the scale each combo so if i were doing the game i would be measuring the combo against what i did last time but the dynamic between us was definite we definitely lifted each other like if dave was learning something i was paying attention and i was going could i do that and i'm imagining the same thing was true for him like we we wanted to push each other to our highest potential so, wow, that was great to hear Arthur and Dave talk about their, their little one-upping game. Um, and I actually have a personal story that's related to that that I'll just share now. So when Matt and I were up-and-coming jammers, we were getting a lot better technically, but in our competition play, we just weren't really 
making it to the next level. And so Arthur pulled us aside and said, hey, if you guys want some coaching, I'd be more than happy to coach you. And uh, so we got on a call with him uh, about a week later, and his first suggestion was to try this game. Uh, basically, start easy, go for as long as you can go without dropping it, and every time you do a combo, up it a little bit more, up it a little bit more. And so Matt and I went out and did that the very next jam, and it didn't take long before our catch percentage went way up. It wasn't long after that that our competition results went way up. So Arthur was a big influence for us. So thanks, Arthur. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting because I, I never had the opportunity or thought about doing that with somebody else. I always kind of did it by myself. I would try to one-up myself. I'd be like, okay, I can do one spin pull. Now I need to do a double spin pull and so on and so forth. But uh, I can totally see how it would be effective in, in pushing your limits. It's interesting. It changed our mindset from we need to do the hardest thing we can possibly do to we need to do the hardest thing we can do and complete it. Adding that and completed component really changed how we played in competition. That really is the key to competing, being able to complete what you can do, not complete what you think somebody thinks you're going to be hain and shred. Yeah, exactly. It's not about yeah. doing the one the thing that you do 10% of the time. It's about doing the really hard thing 80% of the time. I think that's a real important lesson for new players, for sure. And uh, also, I want to encourage folks to subscribe to the Frisbee Guru newsletter so that they can get a recap every Monday of what has taken place on frisbeeguru.com. So if you want to have a one-stop shop where to get all your info, sign up for the newsletter, uh, and you'll get that in your inbox every Monday. And also, a little teaser, we're going to be uh, exploring a new platform called Patreon and giving you guys another way to support all the activities here on frisbeeguru.com. So with that, Jake, I will talk to you next week. Yeah, talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us, or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, shooting the frisbees, and live streaming free